0: Come, Holy Spirit, speak through my mouth. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Amen. Amen. Our psalm today tells us that we are known by God. Think about that for a moment. What does that mean, that God knows us? Every thought, every action, every inaction, every desire, known. At various points in my life, this has been a huge comfort. And at others, it has been a point of fear and foreboding. The God who created us, knows us, and loves us. When I harbor anger in my heart, I am loved by God. When I don't take an action that I know I am meant to take, I am loved by God. When I make a mistake, I am loved by God. Our psalmist tells us this in beautiful poetry. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. But as beautiful as these words are, they are also kind of claustrophobic, even scary. You press upon me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Where can I go then from your spirit? There is no escape. There is no opt-in or opt-out. There is no unsubscribe. There is comfort in this, But there is also intense intimacy and accountability because there is no fooling the Lord. We might be able to spin our best version of ourselves to those around us, or to live in some version of denial even to ourselves. But this is not an option when it comes to God. There is good news here. First and foremost is this, when we let go of our desire to hide the true nature of who we are in all of our complexities, our best selves and our worst, well, then we can open to the idea that God loves us exactly as we are right now. Not in some distant time when we become better when we are more generous, or more loving, or less angry, or less deceitful, right now. When I opened to this, really let it sink in that I was loved and known. That made me want to open to being the best version of myself that I could be. Not to earn God's love, but to live into it. Being known is a gift that allows me to be completely honest with myself. And this, in turn, helps me to give over to God that which blocks me from being the best version of myself. I can look at these things that separate me from my truest self with unvarnished honesty. And instead of judging myself, I can simply give these things to God and open to the continual transformation that is happening inside me and all around me. God is doing new things all the time, including inside of each one of us. Our text from Genesis is wonderful confirmation that God meets us exactly where we are and loves us. That God can and does use us even in our sinfulness, our brokenness, our humanness. Our journey with Jacob picks up where we left off last week. As you may recall, Jacob tricked his twin brother Esau out of his birthright. Esau was so angry about this, really angry about this, that he decided to kill Jacob. Their mother, Rebekah, wanted to stop that from happening, so she sends Jacob away to her brother's house with the excuse that he should go there to find a woman to marry. And our text picks up as Jacob is beginning his journey. He is alone. He is afraid for his life. And all of this is the direct result of his own behavior. Jacob is a trickster, a scoundrel, one who always attempts to spin things to his own advantage, and yet God appears to him in a dream. God shows up in extremes and when we are most unaware. This part of scripture emphasizes the importance of the covenant relationship God has with the people. Our God is relational, not some distant deity looking on from afar, but working with us and using us right where we are in this moment. God had big plans for Jacob, God has big plans for us. We find Jacob in the wake of a huge amount of familial wreckage that he caused. And God shows up and talks to him directly. Jacob hears the Lord speak to him, and direct speech from the Lord to people in the Bible should never be underplayed. It is always a big deal. God doesn't speak here through an intermediary. A Intermediary, but instead reaffirms with Jacob the covenant that God had previously made with Abraham and Sarah. And God does this in the location where Abraham had pitched his tent, built an altar, and called upon God. Jacob seems to be unaware of the importance of this location as he says when he wakes from the dream, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Keep in mind that the people of Israel were a people of peace and place. Location was very important to their faith. The connection to the land and to the place was deeply rooted in the covenant God made with God's people. As God said in Jacob's dream, The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So not only is Jacob someone who sows seeds of discord in his family, one who tricks people into that tricks people for his own advantage, but he's also someone who seems to be pretty unaware of some very central things in his faith. And yet, God speaks to him God is using Jacob because God knows Jacob and knows that Jacob doesn't have to be perfect or without sin for God's work to be done through him. Our reading today doesn't include the last few verses of this chapter, but I think they're hilarious, and so I'm going to include them today. Our reading ends with Jacob rising in the morning and recognizing that he's had this dream and taking the stone out from under his head setting it up as a pillar, naming the place Bethel. This is what we didn't read. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, And of all that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth. He's making a bargain with God. Okay, God, you've promised me these things, and you've spoken to me directly in a dream. Really cool. But you're going to have to keep doing these other things in order for me to follow you. Just saying. So, Jacob, ever the deal-maker, makes a deal. And I mention that because... I want to make sure you recognize that you should never let anyone tell you that there aren't conditional prayers in the Bible. Clearly not true. If you have found yourself bargaining with God in a dark place and you think somehow you've failed because you've done that, Jacob is great proof that that's not true. I mean, it doesn't always work out when we bargain with God, but it doesn't mean that there aren't lots of people that have been used by God that have gone before us that have done just that. You aren't getting it wrong. You are known by God. How can we ever sit in judgment of anyone when we have only to look at Scripture to reinforce that in our humanness, we know nothing of the ways of God. God doesn't wait for Jacob to be perfect. He doesn't reprimand him for being conniving. He doesn't threaten to withhold what has been promised. He says, know that I am with you and will keep you. And this brings me back to the psalm. And to that gift that we are given in God's knowing. And the fear we may have in God's knowing. So why do I strive to be as true to the person God made me to be as possible? Because I rest in the truth that God knows every single thing there is to know about me. And God loves me. And God uses me. And this makes me want to be my truest self. And this is true for all of you. We are seen. We are known. We are loved. Terrifying and amazing.